Hey, Ken Smalley. Ken Smalley's waving at me, so I'm going to wave back. <laughs> Hi, Ken. Friends, did I, Colin Tenhaken, do I have my mic on? Are we okay? Are we okay? We're okay. We're good. We're good. Um, friends, the Lord be with you. Oh, it's so good to be with you all. Pastor Suzanne, you're the best. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the invitation to be here um, in this really really important moment in the life of Meredith Drive Reform Church and the bridge. Um, so I, I want to get after it. So will you, will you pray with me, please? Lord, may your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Jesus Christ, our single concern, in whose name we pray. Amen. It was a humid August morning in Johnston. In front of me was my oldest son, Sam. A, a red Lego backpack commanded the space between his shoulders and his knees. To my left was my husband, Shane, gently rocking our six-month-old twins in their double stroller. We were waiting for the school bus. You know, that long-awaited day that... Sam would enter into the great big new world called kindergarten. And as the bus rolled up, Sam, with his flimsy cutout name tag now twisted and backward, he looked at us, gave us a wave, and simultaneously my husband Shane put his arm around me and said, Well, this is the beginning of goodbye. That's just great, I said as I huffed and puffed my way back to the house. This was not a helpful comment to me in this moment. But as I drove to Meredith Drive, where I served as teaching pastor, I kept thinking about this threshold that I was crossing, the threshold that, that we were crossing, and Shane's gentle but very direct way of tilling that soil of preparation the uncharted terrain that lies ahead, the goodbye and the hello, one hand holding tightly, the other hand letting go, the, the toggle between longing and loss. And nine days from today, the backpack upon Sam's back will read Hope College, another threshold. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are also in the midst of crossing a threshold. The work of discerning the times, of listening to God who is remaking his church, of listening to one another and listening to your community, the reluctant acceptance of the tectonic plates shifting beneath you. The 21st century, century barreling in with its questions and its social and cultural and economic chaos. The general distrust of the institutional church and the challenges within the Reformed Church in America notwithstanding. And the impact of COVID-19. This is uncharted terrain 
like Lewis and Clark at the, the headwaters of the Missouri looked over and thought there'd be rivers all the way to the Pacific. But there were Rocky Mountains. They were trained for rivers. They weren't trained for mountains. The uncharted terrain, the liminal space between goodbye and hello, the toggling between longing and loss. On another day, and in another time, another assembly of people, not unlike yourselves, gathered at the threshold of the foot of a mountain called Sinai. Their fear and grief was real. Questioned that assembly of people, God, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Why couldn't we have stayed in Egypt? At least as Pharaoh's slaves, we had steak and onions, and now in the desert, all we have are manna and quail. A crossing through the Red Sea, the pillar of, of cloud by night and the, and the pillar of fire, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, guiding his people through the threshold. Goodbye and hello, longing and loss, a beautiful reluctance to be here. And upon crossing over, the Lord speaks through Moses. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant then out of all the nations of the world, you will be my treasured possession. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what Moses is saying at the foot of this mountain to these people. God is the one who gathers them at the foot of the mountain. God is the one that comes down and says, I am your God, you are my people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live with you. I'm going to tabernacle with you. I'm going to temple with you. I will make you a new people, a new humanity. Friends, these people without power or a future, but they were precious to the living God. And the Apostle Peter, as he addresses the church in today's text, has the audacity to say that the church is realizing those promises now. If you have a text, open it up to 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 4, or check it out on the screen. This is what the Apostle Peter is speaking to the church. Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
To you then who believe, he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Come to him, a living stone. Though rejected by human beings, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. Friends, Peter begins with Jesus. In fact, the beginning, middle, and end of his sermon is all about Jesus. John Calvin, our Reformed forerunner, puts it this way, it is from Christ that all things must be sought. That is, nothing is or can be found outside of Jesus Christ. Christ is the beginning and Christ is the end of all things. And Peter quotes the prophet Isaiah here. And he's reminding this group of people, the church, that God has laid a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. That those who trust in him will never be put to shame. This is about what God is doing, what God has done. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the bridge, church. The God who acts in the concrete experience of a people who are about to cross a threshold. The stone, come to him. The stone that people have rejected is, in fact, the stone God has chosen. Now, unless we forget that the stone is living, I hope you heard that. Come to him, a living stone. Why do you look for the living among the dead, said the two men in dazzling white on that first day of the week? Why? Christ is not here. He has risen just as he said. Now get up, get out of here, and go tell the brothers. And Peter, to the church in which he preaches, 1 Peter 2, to borrow from my dear friend John Sherrill, Peter wants to remind the church that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened. And Peter's very first sermon on that Pentecost day, went something like this. This is Jesus. You killed him, God raised him, and we are all witnesses. Now to hammer this home, Peter reminds the church in 1 Peter that God has given us a new birth into a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And we are born anew through the living word of God. And so Peter says, 
come to him, the living stones, and you all are living stones. As real as your breath within you, in and out, you are living stones, rooted and grounded in the cornerstone, the one who is living. So friends, as living stones, with a living hope, means that we follow Jesus, who is living and at work in this world. God is inviting a holy imagination that is disruptive, a holy imagination that is energizing, a holy imagination that is painful, and a holy imagination that is hope-filled because we put all our eggs in this basket that Jesus is making all things new. And Peter says to the church, we are living in such a time. Living stones, precious and chosen people of God. God is doing a new thing. And that new thing always involves joy and pain, goodbye and hello, longing and loss, death and resurrection. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own people. In order that you may declare the acts of the one who called you out of the dark, when you were dead in the muck and the mire, called you out of that and called you into his light. Peter is saying, church, you inherit all of these promises of God, that God is the one that has called you out of darkness, that God is the one that has called you out of light, that God names you beloved with whom God is pleased, that God bears you up on his shoulders, that God carries you in his arms, that God loves you with a jealous love. The Heidelberg Catechism, one of the confessions of our faith, says it this way. The Son of God, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and his word a church chosen for everlasting life. This is who you are. And Peter goes on to say, the reason, church, you have been given these promises is so that you may get up, get out of here, and go proclaim the mighty acts of God who called you out of the dark and into the light. Listen with me to missiologist Leslie Newbigin. He says, the church is the bearer to all nations of a gospel that announces the kingdom, the reign, the sovereignty of God. It calls men and women to become believers in the one true God. And so that together we might become a sign, a foretaste, an instrument of the sovereignty of the one true and living God over all nations, over all nature, and over all human lives. 
These promises are not meant to call men and women out of the world and into this safe enclave, this little religious bubble, but to call us out to be agents of love and light and peace and goodness and living hope that this world so desperately needs. Meredith Drive Reformed Church, the Bridge Campus, beloved people of God, you have, for over 70 years, been declaring Jesus Christ in the breaking of the bread and in the pouring of the cup, at the waters of baptism, in the discipling of children and in the discipling of their parents, in welcoming those able-bodied and non-able-bodied, not just welcoming them, but reminding them that they belong and that they serve. You have declared Jesus in Haiti and in the halls of Hoover High School. You have declared Jesus in intergenerational mentoring, feeding upon the word of God in ways that reinterpret how we show up on our Tuesday mornings and our Thursday afternoons. You have declared Jesus in the generous giving of your resources, decisions around tables that are informed about loving God and loving neighbor, the digging of wells and the building of homes, and certainly encouraging and affirming the gifts of the next generation and praying them through their next faithful step. And by God's grace, you will continue to declare Jesus Christ for the next 70 years. After all, all of God's promises in Christ are yes and amen. I told you earlier that, that Peter's beginning and middle of his sermon were about Jesus. So let's get to the end also about Jesus. Would you listen with me again to verse 10? Peter says, Church, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, this is a quote from the Old Testament, the book of Hosea. And the background of what Peter is saying to the church is this idea of God's chosen people. It's the story of Hosea and Gomer. So God comes to his prophet Hosea, and he says, Hosea, I want you to marry Gomer. She is going to be unfaithful to you because I want you to know how I, God, feel. Because I am your God, and these are my people, and I love them. I love them the way a bridegroom loves a bride. I love them the way a husband loves a wife. And because they're going after other gods, and because they're worshiping other gods and turning away from me, I want you, Hosea, to feel how I feel. I want you to know what I'm going through. Marry a woman who is going to be unfaithful to you. So Hosea marries her. 
and they have a child who is called Lo Ruhama, which means not loved. No more mercy. I'm not going to love you anymore. The next child is called Lo Ami, which means not my people. Is that it? Is it hopeless? Gomer leaves Hosea for another man. And by the time you get to chapter 3, Gomer is up for sale in the marketplace. Now, friends, hear this. This is what Hosea says, and this is what the apostle Peter is quoting from. Listen. There will come a day when I will say to Israel, I am your husband, and I will take you for my wife forever. I will take you for my wife in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. To the one called not my loved one, I will say, I love you. To the ones called not my people, I will say, you are my people. And they will say, you are our God. And then God turns to Hosea and says, go and buy your wife in the marketplace. And so Hosea buys her back. Friends, Peter says to the church, this promise has now come true. In Jesus Christ, God stepped into the marketplace and bought his people back. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are the living God, his beloved people. In order that you may get up, get out of here, and proclaim the one who called you out of the dark and into his light. And as you cross this threshold, remember who you are. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me, please? Living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, hallowed be your name. God, thank you. Thank you that you have called us your own, that when you look upon us, you rejoice at what you've made. Thank you for this bride, the Bridge Church in Johnston, Iowa. Thank you for Meredith Drive Reformed Church, one congregation in two locations. Oh God, in this in this mix of tilling the soil, of preparing for a new thing that you are doing, I pray that this congregation would, would be one informed by the truth that when you, Jesus, are lifted up, 
all people will be drawn. So God, let that truth inform how they show up with one another, how they love one another, how they show up on their, their Tuesday mornings and their Thursday afternoons. God, I pray especially for the next generation, for our young people who sit here today and who are in other places. God, I ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit that people such as myself and those older than me can, can scoot over and give the keys of leadership away to our young people. God, I pray that you would protect your church. You said that the gates of hell would not prevail. And so I pray that you would give us boldness and humility and resilience and, 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 and grace that we may take our next faithful step with you. Uh, Jesus Christ, we love you. Thank you for the truth this day that we did not choose you, but you chose us. And you appointed us not to just be here on a Sunday morning, but you appointed us to, to, to go and to bear fruit. Um, may it be true of us, Lord. We, we love you. We, we give you thanks. Thank you that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened and you, Jesus, are alive. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.